Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. We had some big news come out recently in the basic income space. There's a new pilot that's being launched right now in the United States. This one is called the Magnolia Mothers Trust, and it's going to provide $1,000 per month with no conditions to 15 low-income families headed by African-American women based in Jackson, Mississippi. They'll be receiving those payments over the course of one year. The pilot's being managed by Springboard to Opportunities, which is a direct service organization that's also based in Mississippi. So to give us the lowdown on on what this program is, how it got started, and what might come of it, I spoke with Aisha Niandoro. She is the head of Springboard to Opportunities and is leading this project. So here is Owen's interview with Aisha. Aisha, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. So to start, can you just tell us about Springboard to Opportunities, what its mission is and how it goes about achieving that? Yeah, thank you. Springboard to Opportunities is a nonprofit based in Mississippi, but we do work in several states throughout the country. And we are a resident service provider. We provide programs and services for individuals who live in federally subsidized affordable housing to help them achieve their dreams in life, school, and work. And we take a holistic approach to service deliveries. So that's anything from after school programs to workforce training and job placement. We really do pride ourselves on um, being radically resident driven. That's our tag on being radically resident driven and really listening to the families with whom we have a pleasure of serving and making sure that we are being responsive to the needs that they tell us that they have for their families. That's excellent. So, um, Very recently, Springboard to Opportunities made a very exciting announcement about the creation of the Magnolia Mothers Trust. So could you tell us what that is? Oh, it makes me, you know, you have very few opportunities in life, I feel, to do something that you think is bold and big and take a risk where you really have a chance to just put everything you believe out there um, on the line. And that's what the Magnolia Mothers Trust is for us. And so, you know, just to give you a little backstory about how this came to be, for the last couple of years, I've really been torn with the reality that the work that we're doing at Springboard, even though it's awesome and amazing, it really was not helping us move the needle on poverty. And so really began to do some work in examining the policies and various things that are in place as it relates to our families and realized there was a disconnect between what they actually needed and the reality of what they were receiving. And and over time and time again in conversations with our families, what it was that we kept learning is that they really just needed more access to cash, that there were very few opportunities for them to get cash without there being strings attached and for them to get cash that they could use for just whatever it was that they needed for them for their families. And not a voucher, not a subsidy, but cold hard cash. And so about a year or so ago, I really started taking that idea and be like, okay, if we could give them cash, what would that look like? And that is from which the Your Mother's Trust was birthed with that idea that if you just give individuals cash, for us primarily, it will be women. Um, That's why it's mothers, because the majority of the individuals that we work with in the adult population are, you know, African-American women and their children. And so really just saying, what would it look like if we gave women money with no strings attached? And really for us focusing on that African-American population, because that's the majority of the individuals that we work with, what innovation could come to light if individuals were not constantly 
kept in a sea of trying to just survive. If individuals really had what it is that they need to thrive, what would come within, what could happen within these communities? So what the Magnolia Mothers Trust is going to do is going to give $1,000 per month for 12 months to 15 individuals that live in federally subsidized affordable housing. And for our population, that is a game changer because on average, um, the individuals that we work with make less than $11,000 annually. So we're talking about doubling someone's income. And it sounds like you, you probably have specific questions about what's going to happen, but it also seems like this is something that's the part of the excitement is that it's open-ended, that you don't entirely know what it's going to mean. We have no idea what's going to happen. Um, and that's why I'm so, and that's why it's so exciting and so, also so scary because with this particular population, we have a lot of questions that we're trying to answer simultaneously. So, you know, we have the very basic questions of, you know, what will they do with the money? What will the outcomes look like? You know, will this help individuals begin to free up their bandwidth and be more engaged in the local community and with this also engaged within their own individual lives? So, um, so we have those very individual level questions questions at the very basic um, aspect of what we plan on evaluating. But we also have some larger research questions as it relates to policy, really understanding what the infusion of cash will do for this population of individuals. Because like I say, we're dealing with individuals who are extremely low income, who live in federally subsidized affordable housing. So they have vouchers. They have housing vouchers. They have SNAP. You know, they have um, child care vouchers in some instances. So really beginning to explore, you know, what cash does within those systems. And that's problematic because, you know, our social service system should not be set up so where it's so punitive, where a very small influx of cash can really disrupt your lifestyle as you move towards economic self-sufficiency. So we have those questions as well. But then also on a very, you know, in another aspect of it, we have questions as it looks, you know, how will this redefine or define work? Will individuals have an opportunity to look for jobs that are more fulfilling and look for opportunities that are more fulfilling rather than just feeling that they have to take a minimum wage job because they have that necessity, you know, to work. And so really allowing folks to have the more more freedom and dignity to really look for opportunities that, you know, help satisfy their soul. So we have a lot of questions um, that we'll be exploring over the course of a year, over the course of the year. Um, with various partners. And, you know, for us and for me, it's really exciting that we have partners who are willing to go with us in, unchart in uncharted waters uh, um, and really explore what this means. And so that's really exciting to have that level of trust with individuals that we partner with to do this work. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that uncertainty is why so many people are wary around the idea of basic income that, you know, if you give people a housing voucher, you know what that's going to be spent on. Whereas if you just give people money, then, you know, people's imaginations can run wild. And that's that's scary to the people who I guess are maybe on the other end of that money. But why should it be? I mean, why can't why can't we trust individuals to know what it is that they need for themselves and trust that if given the opportunity, they will do that. And so, you know, this idea of it being a scary notion, I I get it. But in the very basics of it all, I really don't understand, you know, what the rationale is in that fear. You know, these individuals that we work with, you know, I can only ever speak for my population. The individuals that I work with are hardworking folks who are just trying to make it and who unfortunately 
They are constantly having to climb up a mountain just to live and exist. And so they know what it is that they need. And I do not for one moment think that anyone is going to take this money and irresponsibly with it. Um, but if they, you know, if they do go get their nails done, their hair done or whatever, to me, that's a form of self-care. And that's doing what you need to take care of yourself in that particular point in time. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like it's it's OK if people want to do that. Well, whenever anyone says, well, people are just going to spend it all on drugs and alcohol, what I'd like to say is, well, you've got some expendable income. Like, do you spend it all on drugs and alcohol? Like, <laughs> so you work with you're working with African-American women. And, you know, this is a small enough um, trial or experiment that you can be selective about, you know, it, it's not a, a randomized control exactly. Um so you can take these separately or together. Why African-Americans and why women? Yes, a couple of reasons. Um, so for us, the African-American women aspect, just really it's a large part of the population that we already work with. The, you know, the majority of the individuals within the communities that we serve, that's our demography. And so that's a very basic why that population, but then also a much, for me, a much richer answer to why that population is one of the other pieces that I would love to see from this work is that we begin to change the narrative around women and social services within this within this country and really beginning to dispel that myth of the welfare queen. And a lot of times when we talk about that nasty myth and that nasty ideology, it's African-American women that we're talking about. And so for me, this really does provide an opportunity to really begin to rewrite how African-American women are viewed within this country and African-American women who live within poverty are viewed within this country who are really just trying to make it and who are trying to put in place the supports that they need for themselves and their families to actualize their dreams. Um, so that's the first, you know, thing about African-American. And then the other part is, you know, why mothers? Once again, it goes back to the demography of the population that we primarily work with. The majority of the individuals that we serve as springboard are women, um, are mothers. Uh, and they are mothers between the ages of 25 and 44 with multiple kids who, once again, are trying to just, are trying to figure out how to survive and thrive and how to raise their kids and how to keep themselves safe. Or they're also at the same time where they're trying to survive. They're also dreaming about a greater future for themselves and a greater future for their families uh, and are really working tirelessly to try to make that dream come into fruition. So I've, you know, I've had a lot of conversations about race and poverty in our social benefit system. And some people say, let's just talk about poverty. You know, the color of your skin shouldn't matter. And other people say like, no, these two things are inherently intertwined and you can't ignore that. And, you know, you were getting into that in your last answer. But how do you approach that question? To me, it's so obvious. And when folks, you know, when folks have that idea of, oh, why can't we just talk about poverty without race? To me, that's a whole lot of privilege wrapped up in that answer. You know, think that you can have one without the other. Unfortunately, the two within this country are interwoven. So we cannot talk, we cannot have a conversation about poverty without talking about the systems that have systematically kept an entire population of people impoverished within this country. The two go hand in hand. The systems and the policies that we have in place were designed with the understanding that we have serious issues with race uh, and 
as that being the reality, since we have these serious issues with race that garner our system, our social service systems, poverty and race go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Um, so to me, it's an asinine concept. Um, it makes you uncomfortable to talk about race in your conversations about poverty. Um, it's You may need to do a little more homework and understanding. Maybe along those lines, what appeals to you about basic income? Oh, so much appeals to me about basic income. You know, to me, the most appealing aspect of basic income is the dignity that would allow our families to have. Not having to show up at an office and do paperwork to make it seem that you are trying to make yourself seem worthy for this handout that's, you know, being blessed upon you from this higher up. So the ability to restore dignity to our families, that's really exciting to me. This aspect that individuals will know um, when exactly it's coming and what exactly it will be, that's exciting because just the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The consistent, this being the consistency of it. Um, it's really exciting because, you know, so many of our individuals that we work with, the jobs that they have, you know, are hourly based jobs. And so with that, it's not consistent from week to week or month to month. So the inability to plan when you don't know what your check will look like from week to week is really hard. So just really allowing this consistency for our families, that's really exciting to me. And then the other piece, you know, is that's the probably the most exciting of all of this is really giving the breathing room that our families need to um, to dream and to really think about possibilities. Because, you know, unfortunately, time and time again, what we are hearing and learning from our families is that their light, their light is beginning to be dimmed um, and diminished just a little bit because of because of the fact that life is so hard. And so it's really hard for me to envision a world where I am not allowed the freedom to dream and where I don't actually believe that my dreams could actually come true. So just allowing for this small moment of time for our families to begin to have the ability to dream again um, and to really put some steps into place to move towards those dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sort of speaking of things that are maybe hard to imagine if you're not living them, could you say a little bit about what it's like to uh, to be on all these social benefit programs where you have to go into an like how much time does that take and like how much of a burden is it on someone to to kind of continually re up on these programs? You know, it takes a lot of time, and so you could spend an entire day. Um, at your social, you know, at your Department of Human Service office, uh, trying to get your SNAP benefits reinstated. Uh, and so it takes a lot of time as it relates to just this, the actual physical time of it all. And the, but then also it's a lot of mental, you know, a lot of mental um, acrobats and gymnastics that's required as well, because you're always trying to make sure that... Uh, you are staying within whatever guidelines exist for that particular service that it is that you're receiving. And so that's all exhausting and time consuming. And you have to think about, you know, in a lot of instances for these individuals who, you know, may have to go to the Department of Human Service to get their benefits or something reinstated or, you know, to make sure that their benefits um, continue to be put in place. 
that is time where you will have to, in some instances, you have to take off work. Uh, You know, if you were working that day and we're talking about folks who have hourly jobs, so that's a day where you may not get those wages. So, So it's a lot that just goes into all of that. But for us, you know, what we have heard, and I keep saying what we've heard because so much of what it is that we do is in conversations with our residents, with our families. We don't do anything without their input. So in a lot of times, so much of what we've heard from our families is really just the lack of dignity that's with those, included with those situations uh, of having to go, you know, to the Department of Human Services, having to, you know, try to um, help your caseworker empathize with what it is that you're experiencing. All of those things, you know, are placed pieces uh, um, where a little piece of your dignity uh, is taking, taken away. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, those are the questions I had for you. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, we are just really excited about the Magnolia Mothers Trust. We're excited that this innovation is coming out of Mississippi, that in a lot of times when you hear about Mississippi, it may not always be something positive regarding the state. So we're excited to be within this state piloting this innovation with, you know, extremely low income African-American mothers. We're excited about being a part of the guaranteed income community and having an opportunity to learn alongside all of the other amazing partners who are taking the bold risk and big leaps of faith to pilot guaranteed income projects around this country. That was Owen talking to Aisha Neandoro of Springboard to Opportunities. I love how they're really embracing the uncertainty of cash in this program and how she is so excited by the fact that we don't know what's going to happen to to these women and these families. And, And there's good reason to be excited because we have really ample evidence of just how effective cash is and how people by and large are quite responsible with it when they are given cash. Well, and also how completely ineffective so much of the programs in Mississippi are that I I thought the thing here that I I found most inspiring is that the rationale behind this is entirely based on Aisha's firsthand experiences. She has been working with these people for years and has talked to them to really understand what is it they need to be successful. And that is what drove her to this. It wasn't coming from this kind of pie in the sky, 10,000 foot view of, oh, this should be some future system that we want across the country. It was responding to a real direct need that she was seeing right in front of her. Thinking about this also from the Economic Security Project's point of view, I'm interested in how focused they are on narrative because, you know, 15 people, you're not going to get a robust data set where you can have a control and all that. Uh, but you will get 15 really interesting stories. And that, as we've discussed before, is such a huge part of bringing this idea into the, the broader conversation that we're having. Absolutely, that we keep running up against these so deeply ingrained myths in our culture, this idea of the quote-unquote welfare queen that is not based on any reality, but was something that was concocted o- over time as, as a way of demonizing people who who are receiving support and that Aisha sees this as a direct way to push back on that. That the stories we get here, if we can really lift those up and humanize the people who are receiving the support, that could act as a, a very visceral and emotional counter to those misconceptions. Yeah, and so much of what she's contrasting this program with is that support that that these people are getting and how 
how much of an emotional toll it has on them, and also just you know that they have to spend the day at the the benefits officer proving that they are needy enough to to get these these benefits. Uh, so yeah, very exciting and yeah, looking forward to seeing what comes out of this. Yeah, we'll have to keep a close eye and, and see what stories do emerge. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davison. If you like what you hear, please do rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast service of your choice. And please, please do tell your friends about this. Any folks you know who you think might be interested in basic income, we're always trying to reach new people. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.